Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and this is the Mosaic Podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you're one of our regular listeners, we love the fact that you journey with us. And we pray that every single message inspires you and helps you become the person that God created you to be. Every single week, we send a new message across the world. And everything we do here at Mosaic is made available to everyone in the world for absolutely free. The reason we can do that is that we have incredible people who give generously and sacrificially to make this possible. And I want to invite you to join us. If you're already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you've not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that now. Go to mosaic.org give and give a one-time gift or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Mosaic. And if you're one of those individuals who God has blessed in an amazing way financially, I want to invite you to become one of our partners here at Mosaic. What's really beautiful about Mosaic is that our biggest givers are families who do not live here in Los Angeles, but they are so committed to the message of Jesus going to the world that they support the work here from Los Angeles to the ends of the earth. And so I want to invite you again, go to mosaic.org give, become a part of our support system, become one of our partners. And more than anything else, I want you to listen to the message, allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. I never thought about 60 as being an age you live through. When I thought of 60, I always thought 60 is sort of like nearly dead. So it's crazy to feel that I'm at the beginning of new things. Because I have to tell you, I don't feel like I'm at the end of things. I feel like I'm at the beginning of things. I don't feel like I'm landing a plane. I feel like I'm finally taking off. I'm finally understanding what life is all about and how to live it fully. But if you'd asked me when I was a kid what I would want to do when I grew up or what I would be when I grew up, it would not be this. I might have imagined myself doing a lot of things as a kid, but I would have never imagined myself being a pastor. In fact, I didn't even know being a pastor was an option. I had no idea that there was an institution or an organization that was connected to God or Jesus in any way whatsoever. And it seems strange to me now to live my life advocating for God. I mean, isn't that odd? I, I, sometimes it feels so surreal. I just step back and go, do you realize you're spending your life trying to convince people there's a God and that he loves them? What a strange occupation. It, it still seems odd to me because when I am standing on this platform, I am aware of the contradiction inside of my own soul. See, I, I think for some people, belief comes easily. I think some people just seem to be more properly structured for faith, but I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people that just believes easily, believes naturally, and everything just sort of moves in the sink in faith. I'm up here going, how strange that you're on a platform talking about God while I'm talking about God. I'm up here with multiple voices in my head. One saying, do you, do you understand that you, you are building your entire life around a belief that God stepped into human history 2,000 years ago? That's, that's absurd. And then I have this other voice going, I know it's absurd, but it's undeniable. I have one voice going, how is it possible that you actually believe in God? The other voice going, how do you not believe in God? And, and I understand if you're here and, and you're grappling with the reality of God, if you're trying to make sense of who Jesus is and, and, and it's a struggle for you, I want you to know that I resonate with you. You just happen to be there and I'm here. 
But that, that's a part of the wonder of it because the more I've lived my life and the more I've realized that, that when you live your life advocating for God, you're actually not advocating for God. You're actually advocating for people. You, you cannot understand or come to understand who God is and what his intention is, what his passion is, and not understand that your entire life has to be about people. Because the beautiful thing about God is the moment you get your focus on God, he readjusts your focus so that you can actually see people for the first time. And so I wanted to take this moment, and I've realized this is almost a tradition for me, and I want to talk about why Jesus, because for me, that's, that is the big question. And it was the big question for me many, many years ago, and it still is to this day. And I understand why people struggle with that question. Because I have so many people who will tell me when we begin a conversation together that they'll say, well, I'm an atheist. And then over a season, they'll tell me, well, okay, I can believe in God, but I just can't go all the way with you to Jesus. And, and, and then people will be at that, that, that intersecting point. They'll say, okay, I believe in God, but how can Jesus be the only answer for all humanity? And they'll usually ask me things like, or say things like, aren't all religions the same? And then you're pressed against one of the statements of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And beyond the poetry and beauty of those words, there's something really stark and, and a little disturbing when Jesus says that no one comes to the Father except by me. Now, I think this is one of the things that, that makes the message of Jesus and the person of Jesus a little more perplexing. How can there be one answer to the human dilemma? Aren't there so many different paths and so many different ways to God? Now, some of you know my own background. You know, I'm an immigrant from El Salvador. You know that Spanish was my first language. You know, I came to the States when I was a child. And my religious background was really eclectic. My, my grandfather was, my grandmother was a Roman Catholic who did not trust the church or priests or religion. And yet she was, from her own declaration, a Roman Catholic. And so she gave me my first St. Christopher so that he would protect me when I traveled. And, 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 and she told me there was a lot of things in the world to fear. And so she told me, whenever you enter a room, you need to do this. And whenever you go into the ocean, you need to do this. When you go outside, you need to do this. And, and so I would go in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. And, and of course, in Spanish. And I would do this all the time because if I didn't do this before I went to the ocean, a shark would eat me. And, and if I didn't do this before I went outside, I would be kidnapped. And, and, and if I didn't do this before I went to sleep, the darkness would consume me. And, and so I lived in this intersection of fear and faith. And because I'm horrifically OCD, I just started doing this all the time. It, it, it just became my, my symbol of my fear. But it was a superstition. There was nothing substantive behind it. My grandfather, on the other hand, was an atheist who believed in reincarnation. He, he was a, a student of world religions and philosophies. And, and he drove me and my brother one time to a house where he said a little boy died around the age of nine or ten. And that boy was reincarnated, and my grandfather explained, and that became him. And so he, he believed he knew the exact person he was reincarnated from. And... So he taught us really, in essence, reincarnation without God. So I, I was a Roman Catholic who believed in reincarnation. And then when my mom came and brought us home, 
she went on her own spiritual journey, and, and at some point in her life, around, when I was around the age of 10, she became a Buddhist. And she'd been through so much pain and so much hardship, she was trying to find some way to get the universe on her side, to get God on her side. Or if there was anyone out there, she just knew she needed some help because her life wasn't what she longed for it to be. So she brought a Buddha home, and we became the first Latin Buddhists in the world. <laughs> we were pioneers. And we didn't know much about Buddha. We knew about as much about Buddha as we knew about Jesus. Nothing. But we would rub Buddha's belly and hope that he would have favor on us and bring us good luck, good karma. Life didn't get better. Buddha just kept smiling at us, mocking us every single day. We didn't know if we got the right Buddha. Was it the smiling Buddha or the serious Buddha? So one day my mom came home because her world was falling apart and she took Buddha into the backyard and destroyed him. And our journey as Buddhists came to an end. And then she picked up a book by Rabbi Kishner, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And my mom began reading that book and she decided one day that she was Jewish. And she said to me when I was 10 or 11, I don't know why she was talking to me about religion or philosophy, but she said, I'm Jewish now. And I didn't know what that meant, and so I asked her, and she explained to me that she believed there was a God, but she didn't believe that God had any interest in our lives. And, and she said there was an earthquake in Managua, and innocent people were killed because of a natural disaster, and how could God possibly exist, or how could God be involved in our lives and allow such meaningless suffering in the world? And even though my mom said she became Jewish, she actually became a deist, but I've come to know over years that many people who would consider themselves Jewish or actually more deists. If there's a God, he's not involved in our lives. And my mom came to that conclusion by looking at life itself. And for me, that sent me on, on a really personal and private quest. Because you wouldn't think that all those different traditions and philosophies and worldviews affecting a person's life would have a dramatic impact, but it did. Because you see, it, didn't, it wasn't so much about what I believed, it's that I didn't know who I was. And I've come to realize that, that a huge part of religion is not our search for God, but our search for us. We're trying to make sense of who we are, so we project gods and pre create religions to try to make sense of the mess of us. So by the time I was in sixth grade, I read every mythology book in the library. I read every Norse, Roman, Greek mythology, every mythology I could find, I began to read them because I thought somehow maybe in these ancient stories about gods, I would begin to understand the story of me. So I've been on this search all my life, and it nearly drove me to madness. And I disconnected myself from the outside world, but when I ended up going to college, I began to study philosophy, and I didn't become a philosophy student, I became a philosopher. And I remember studying Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and, and going through Locke and Hume and Descartes. And so many times I traveled with the road to Walden's Pond that I should have had a condo there. And every time I read a different philosopher, whether it was Brooks or, or, or whoever it may have been, I, I walked away so disappointed because I realized that they were as lost as I was. They were asking the same questions but we're as desperately confused about the meaning of our existence. And that left in me an emptiness. And I remember for a brief moment, considering Christianity, 
Now, maybe some of you considered Christianity the way I did. I was in a class, and the professor opened up a passage in the Old Testament, a violent passage. And he read that moment of violence, and then he said, and this is supposed to be the God of love. And he laughed, and I laughed. And in that moment, I discounted the Christian faith and any possibility that Jesus could have any meaning for my life. And in the midst of that, I finally came to this conclusion that maybe there isn't anything that's true or anything that's real. And I I, I had a moment where I felt okay with that. But I just felt like I'm okay if there's nothing real, if there's nothing that's true, if there is no God, I just want to resolve that. Because I don't want to spend my life searching for something that doesn't exist. But there was something inside of me that kept longing for the possibility of more. And and, and then, of course, a a part of my journey ended up bringing me to a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. I remember my mom called me up and she said, hi, honey, I'm a Christian. My mom had gone through so much pain and so much difficulty and so many hardships. And and when she called me and, and I was in college and she said, I'm a Christian, I had no idea what that meant. But she sounded happy, so I was happy for her. When I heard my mom say, I'm a Christian, I heard her say something like, I joined the Peace Corps. I didn't know it was a religion. I don't know why. I didn't connect the word Christian with Christ or Christmas. Because I was just oblivious to the connection. And it was only when I went home to visit her that I realized there was, there was more involved. There was like this, this institution called the church, and, and there was a pastor, and there were people who came together, and they met on Sundays, every Sunday. By the way, some of you are unaware of that. <laughs> that we meet every Sunday. And, 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 and that for me was a, a bit confusing. And, and, and frankly, a part of the challenge of why Jesus and why I think this is such an important question is that most of the people who seem, I, I know this is a general statement, but I'm just going to say it. My experience was that most of the people who talked about Jesus publicly were really stupid. I know I'm not supposed to say that. But if you talk to people who don't believe in God, they go, yeah, you have to be stupid to have faith. And if you're smart, you don't have faith. You have to be stupid to believe in God. And if you're smart, you don't believe in God. And and frankly, have you ever been in a room with someone who starts talking on your behalf about God? You're like, don't don't say that. (laughs) Don't go there. And it's almost like magic. The way they talk about God and about life, they're just so disconnected from reality. And, and, and all of a sudden I found myself connecting myself to Jesus, but connecting myself to a, a line of thinking that seemed to abdicate all intelligence. And it was really troubling to me because people would come up to me and go, do you agree with that? And what am I supposed to do? They believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. We're on the same team. I'm stupid too. And the reason this is a problem is that, I don't know why, but stupid people are more confident than smart people. <laughs> you ever notice that? It's just true, like stupid people never think they're wrong. They're just too stupid to know they're wrong. <laughs> See, if you don't know you're ever wrong, it's because you're stupid. Because <laughs> the smarter you get, the more you know you're wrong a lot. The smarter you get, the more you are uncertain about life. The smarter you get, the more you realize that you have more questions unanswered than you have answered. And we think we have to have all the answers to have the answer. So a part of the journey for me was, is it possible to have a thoughtful, intelligent faith? 
And a huge part of why Mosaic exists is I don't want God to be trapped by our stupidity. I want thoughtful, intelligent, sincere people who are grappling with the deep issues of life and are struggling to believe and are not resistant to faith. They just can't find their way there. I want them to have a thoughtful, reasonable way to process the reality of Jesus. So I had to basically ask myself the question, all right, what makes more sense to me? A world without God? or a world with God. And the longer I've lived and the more I've, I've pressed into these, the more I'm actually pressed to believe in God. Not, not because I need to surrender my intelligence, but because intelligence actually, to me, demands a belief in God far more than demands a belief in no God. In fact, one of the amazing things to me is that when you, you, you come to an atheistic view of the world and you accept scientific determinism, you actually can come to a conclusion that the universe is mathematical and that, that everything is predetermined. See, when, you're, when you have a view of scientific determinism, you actually have a fatalistic view of humanity. And that's why in this worldview, there's nothing spiritual because there's nothing creative. There is no free will. There is no choice. See, if you accept the intellectual framework of an atheistic reality that the universe is simply a mathematical expression of the material universe, then you actually don't have free will. You do not have choice. You are not a creative being. You're just the next domino. And what you perceive to be uniqueness and what you perceive to be your choice is just your response to the data that makes you, you. And over here, we have a view that the universe was created by God. Now I know that takes faith too. I say too. But if the universe is created by God, it means that the, cre the universe is created by a creator who's creative. It means that imagination is not just incidental, it's actually essential. It means that we human beings are created to create, that we're imagined to imagine, and that we're not the result of some deterministic domino effect, that we actually have the power to create. And if you have a deterministic view of the universe, you have to accept the fact that the universe is born out of chaos, not out of creativity and that it's, it's mathematical, but it is not intentional. What I think is interesting is that pretty much any self-respecting scientist will tell you that you cannot ignore the intelligence of the universe. And in fact, people without faith in God have faith in an intelligent universe. It's kind of insane. When you look at the universe, you see its intelligence. But somehow, it seems to take less faith to believe in an intelligent universe than it does to believe in an intelligent God who created the universe. Actually, that seems to take more faith to me. And as I process this, I go, okay, I understand why a person might be an atheist and why a person might be a theist, but, but I want you to understand the choice you're actually making here. See, if the universe is not created by God, and I understand the scientific process is that everything comes out of something, then that's what we know. But then there's this like leap but that first something came out of nothing. 
It's, it's, it's tricky. It's actually a tough one. Because we know scientifically that everything came out of something, but that first something came out of nothing. And the challenge is, of course, is what changed nothing's mind? Like, how long was nothing, nothing, doing nothing? Was that trillions or an infinity of time where nothing just did nothing, never motivated, and one day nothing thought, I'm just going to spend my entire existence doing nothing. I should do something. And then what are the chances of nothing having no practice at all? See, because you have to realize, nothing had to get it right the first time. Because it never did anything before. So the first time nothing did something, it created the something that created everything. Now that takes faith. (laughs) Or in what you would call the nothing, there was the everything. Who's God? He created out of his essence And so he imagined us and created us. And the reason the universe has intelligence is because God gave the universe his intelligence. And the reason we have awareness is because God has awareness. And we're reflections of his image and likeness. And and by the way, if the universe is simply deterministic, if it's just a product of random chance, if the central driving force of the universe is math, then you're just two plus two equals four. But if there is a God, then the driving principle of the universe is not math, the driving principle of the universe is love. And the reason the universe has intelligence is because God's intelligence has interconnected the universe. See, because God's relational, the entire universe lives in relationship. And I will tell you this, I don't have to know you to know this. You will not spend your entire life searching for math. but you will spend your entire life searching for love. And there's there's something about the way humans are designed. We didn't have to be taught to inhale and exhale. We just needed to breathe. We didn't have to be taught that water was good for us. We just drank it. We didn't have to be taught that we needed to eat. We just ate. See, we, we physiologically know what is the right kind of oxygen to breathe in? What's the right kind of food to take in? What's the right kind of liquid to drink? And when we drink the wrong things, we get sick. And what's interesting is even if you don't believe in God, your soul doesn't do as well in a worldview that says you have no intention. Strangely enough, your soul does really well, even if it's not true, in a universe that says you're creative, dynamic, that you're made for beauty and wonder, that your life has intention and meaning. Isn't it odd that your soul actually does better in a view that God created you, even if God did not create you? How strange that your soul seems to have, oh, a universal intelligence that moves you toward God. And I understand the deep questions. I understand the question my mom asked. How can there be a God who cares if there's so much suffering in the world when there's so much suffering in the world? How is it possible that God cares about us when when there are tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes? How do you explain 
The pain of natural disasters. I mean, at least I can explain the the pain of of our own darkness, of wars and violence, of of poverty and injustice. We We can at least point to ourselves and say, we're the cause of that, but we keep blaming God. But why is, the, why is the universe in chaos? Why is nature in chaos? Why, why is creation in chaos? And, and we actually point that to God. We say, you see, there can't be a God because the world brings so much pain. Nature is in chaos. And we, it never occurs to us that nature may be a reflection of us, not a reflection of God. Have you ever noticed that you don't actually know who you are until you're around people? Like, you're awesome, right? When you're alone. You're you're the most patient person in the world until you're around other people who are making you wait, right? You are so kind when no one else is involved. Right? You're generous as long as no one needs anything. You have integrity until you're involved with another person. Hmm. Lying only happens when another person needs you to tell the truth. (laughs) Isn't it odd that we don't actually know ourselves except in relationship to other people? Have you ever had anybody try to speak into your life or you try to speak into someone else's life? Have you ever tried to talk to someone's life who's so arrogant? It's impossible. You can say, you know, you're so arrogant. They go, no, what are you talking about? I'm awesome. You know, the only way you actually begin to realize that your soul is damaged is when you begin to realize all your relationships are damaged. See, the only way you actually know what's going on inside of you is when you can see what's going on around you. And if you want to know if there's a mass inside of you, there's a problem inside of you, there's a darkness inside of you, if there, there's a jagged edge that keeps cutting at your soul, is look at the world around you. Because you can know what world's inside of you by the world you're creating around you. And... And we want to blame this on God. But we would not believe there's anything wrong with us if everything was right around us. And a part of what Jesus came to do was to speak to the very essence of who we are. See, when I had to deal with why Jesus, I had to deal with why God, and I just came to the conclusion, I, I cannot accept the world where I do not have free will. I cannot accept any, any, any possible reality where I do not have choice, where I am not creative, where my imagination doesn't matter, where I'm not free. And if that's what spirituality is, then call me spiritual, because I believe that every human being has the power to choose to create a different life, to create a better future, that all of us are designed by God with this powerful ability to create a future that does not exist. But then you look at all these different religions, you go, well, yeah, but why aren't all religions the same? And I know that's politically correct. We should say, oh, well, all religions are the same. In fact, I was speaking at an event, and these, the founders of um, Life is Good came up to me and said, so are you one of those people that believes that all religions are the same? I said, no, no, I'm not one of those. I'm the opposite. They go, oh, well, what, what kind of spirituality do you have? You see, it'd be nice to say our religions are the same, except it's not really fair to religions. If you talk to a Muslim and tell them that Islam is the same as Buddhism, they would consider that an insult. If you talk to a Buddhist and, t- and told them that, that Buddhism is the same as Islam, they would think that you have no idea of either religion. That's like saying sushi and ice cream are the same thing. You've clearly never tried either. 
a, a part of my genetic code is I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a small sliver of Mayan. Now, the Mayans had an ancient religion where they would cut open a person's chest, pull out their heart while they're still alive, and offer their heart to the gods. See, I consider that an unhealthy religion. The religions that took the virgins and threw them into volcanoes to appease the volcano god. I'm thinking that's on the negative side of religions. That's not the same as a religion trying to teach you how to meditate and connect yourself to a higher consciousness. Religions are not the same. Except maybe in this. Every religion gives you a path to achieve your ultimate end. And so if you're trying to achieve enlightenment, Buddhism has a path to move toward enlightenment. If you're trying to find pleasure with Allah, Islam gives you a path to hopefully find the favor of Allah. If, you, if you're trying to, to find favor with, with God, then Catholicism gives you a path to find favor with God. Every religion gives you a path. In, in, in fact, there, there's a common thread here, because it seems to me that religions exist for a couple of reasons. There's no question in my mind, and I agree with atheism here, that religions are created by humans. Religions were not created by God. Religions were created by us. And I think the worst case scenario is that religions are created to control humanity through their guilt and shame. And so if you can tell a person, unless you do what I tell you, you will never find forgiveness or acceptance by God, you can really manipulate people. And I think another side of that is that, that we humans are creating constructs because we need some release spell because we are filled with guilt and shame. Because we, have, we, we are paralyzed by fear. Because we're paralyzed by the unknown. Because we're terrified by death. And so we create constructs. We tell ourselves stories to try to help us overcome our fear. But in the end, religions... Give us what we must do to get God's attention. And here's what I think I've observed over a lifetime, is that really no one's searching for God. You don't really talk to people, they go, I'm searching for God. What people are usually searching for is life. They know their life is missing something. They know they're just existing. They know that something's wrong, that something's broken, that there's a, there's a hole, a hollowness inside of their soul. And they're trying to find the life that is eluding them. And, and, and maybe along the way they concluded that that life is found in God. What's even worse is that life has been hijacked by God. And you cannot have life unless you somehow get God's pleasure and God's favor. And so you have to go through all the process of taking on religion so that one day maybe God will finally approve of you and give you life. It's the idea that God's sitting on top of the highest mountain and waiting to see who is worthy of being in his presence. And so you spend your life climbing and climbing and toiling and working and falling and, and regrouping and climbing and climbing, trying to get to the top of the mountain so that you might get to God. You might find life. And that life, maybe it's on the other side of forgiveness, on the other side of acceptance, on the other side of faith, but I need life. And so we have this, this, this construct throughout history that tells us that God is elusive and we have to earn our way to God. But by the way, any God who forces you to earn his love is not worthy of your worship. 
See, this is where Jesus doesn't qualify as a religion because if every religion gives us a construct to enlightenment, to nirvana, to heaven, to God, to salvation, to whatever it is. See, Jesus flips it all upside down because Jesus didn't come to tell us what we need to do to get to God. Jesus came to show us what God would do to get to us. That's when people say, okay, I can get God, but I don't know about Jesus. No, no, see, God is the name we use when we talk about us searching for him. But Jesus is the name we use when we talk about God searching for us. (laughs) Then you get back to those uncomfortable words from Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And it seems so exclusive. And why would Jesus cut out all the other options See, Jesus isn't saying, look, I'm so exclusive that I don't want you to try anybody else. What he's actually saying is, I need you to understand, no one else is coming for you. No one else is coming for you. And why would you spend your entire life trying to earn the approval and love of a God who's indifferent to you? Because they don't exist. And they're not coming for you. Any God that isn't coming for you isn't worth you running after. That's the power and wonder of who Jesus is. And then it just made so much sense to me. Maybe there's nothing that's true. Maybe there's nothing that real, that's real. But, but if God was, would ever do anything in human history, he would be the proactive initiator of love. If God is who Jesus claims he is, that God is love and that everything God does is the manifestation of love, that everything God does has the intention of love, then it makes perfect sense that if we're broken and if we're the ones who need God, God does not need us. If God needed us, then we should go find God. We need God. He needs to find us. Because we're the ones who are lost. We're the ones who need someone to show us the way. I don't know why God had to step into human history. It's because God, it's not above God to step into our mess. To become one of us. To show us the way home. To him. Again. And then Jesus' language, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know what he's actually saying? Is that I'm the perfect fit for your soul. Yeah, you ever tried to buy a pair of shoes that actually didn't fit well? Did you ever buy a pair of shoes that didn't fit well because you liked them so much? Like, you're like Cinderella's sister. I'm going to buy these. And then you actually never wear them. I, I'm going to admit, I have bought a pair of shoes in the past that did not fit. But I, I liked them so much that I bought them and never wore them. See, that's how religion feels. You buy the religion that you think looks right on you, but it never fits right on you. Because you were not created to step into religion. You're created for love, for relationship, for life. And when Jesus says, I am the way, he's saying, look, I designed you, and you're designed for progress. You're designed for a future. You're designed to keep moving forward. You're designed for hope. He says, I'm the way because your soul is looking for a way because your soul knows it's supposed to move forward. See, the amazing thing about hope is that when hope is in the past, it's called regret. That hope only exists in the future, and you're designed this way by God. And that's why no matter how much you accomplish in this life, no matter how much you attain, no matter how successful you become, there's always something in your soul says, I I, I still think there's something more. 
See, your soul knows that you're designed for progress. And so you can imagine yourself a person you've never been. You can imagine yourself living a life you've never lived. You can imagine being a part of creating a world that has never existed because we are created by God to see a future that does not exist and will not exist without us. Jesus says, I'm the way. Follow me. Because with me, there's always a future and hope. He says, and I, I'm the truth because all of us are designed for meaning. See, as a human being, you are a meaning machine. You're designed for meaning. Listen to what's happening right now. I'm making sounds. <laughs> and those sounds are communicating meaning. I'm speaking into the atmosphere and your brain is processing those and translating them into meaning. Si cambio idiomas, hay unos que sí me pueden entender y otros que no me pueden entender. What? <laughs> See, because the moment I change the language, it loses the meaning for you. See, it's as if God has been speaking to us in his language, but we forgot the language of meaning. And Jesus says, I am the truth. We want to know the truth, that Jesus didn't come to give us a truth or the truth. He came to be the truth, because the reason we give up on truth is because we don't know who can be trusted. And sometimes what happens is that someone gives us the truth and we find later they can't be trusted and so we give up on the truth. And Jesus says, no, I want you to know that the truth isn't outside of me, the truth is within me. And if you want to know the truth that your soul has been searching for, if you want the meaning you're created for, you can only find that in me. You're a meaning machine. There are tribes who communicate through clicking. Can you imagine that? I, I hope I didn't say anything inappropriate. <laughs> but then we created Morse code. And we created a language that communicates through clicking. We know that colors have meaning. In fact, there, there are companies that know what colors to use so that meaning is transmitted through the colors. There are designers who work with feng shui because they understand that spaces have meanings. We humans are meaning machines because we're designed for meaning. But the problem is that until we understand the meaning of us, we create false meanings to life. And we turn meaningless things into meaningful things and meaningful things into meaningless things. And there's some of you that are going to spend your lives on meaningless things. You're going to pursue more money and more power and more wealth and more pleasure. And at the end of your life, it will all be meaningless. Because you didn't find the meaning for which you were created that can only be found in Jesus. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus says, I am the life, which is really hard to give. It's hard to give someone something they think they already have. So when Jesus says, I'm the life, he goes, no, thank you. I already have a life. And Jesus saying, no, I've seen your life. It's not a life. It's in existence. And it breaks my heart that you think that's life. Jesus, I, I am the life. You see, Jesus doesn't come to change your mind. He doesn't come to change your beliefs. He comes to change your existence. Without him, you just exist. And I can tell you this, I don't have to know you to know this. I can tell you when you're gonna feel most alive. You're not gonna feel most alive when you are most successful. You're not gonna feel most alive when you're your wealthiest. 
You're not gonna feel the most alive when you're the most famous or the most powerful. You know when you're gonna feel most alive? When you are most fully loved. And when you are most fully loved, even if you don't have wealth or power or fame or prestige, you will still be fully alive. See, Jesus said, I, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm what your soul has been searching for. And no one comes to the Father except through me because no one else is coming for you. Why, Jesus? It's because Jesus is the why your soul has been searching for. Have you ever noticed that every child who's ever been born anywhere in the world, their first question is why? How is that possible? How is it possible that children in Tanzania have the same question that children in Switzerland have? Why? 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 I love watching parents with their firstborn. They try to answer the question. They think if they take the time to speak to the little child like it's an adult and give them a reasonable explanation for why, that it'll all make sense and they won't have any more why questions. Every human being is born a philosopher. And only as we mature do we ask other questions like how, when, where, what, who. But when you come to the end of your life, you're gonna be like a child again. When you come to the last moments of your life, you're gonna be like you were three. Because the only question that's gonna matter is why? Why, why, why? If you haven't found your why, all the other answers you've given yourself will fall empty at the end of your life. When you find your why, all the other questions come together. Why Jesus? Because Jesus is the answer to your why. I still can't believe I believe, but I don't have a choice. When you meet the creator of the universe, it changes everything. I'm tormented inside of my own soul with all my questions and all my doubts. Sometimes I feel I'm almost driven to madness, except that the madness of living in relationship with a beautiful, creative God who created me with meaning and intention and purpose is the most beautiful of all madness. And I wonder if you're here right now and your soul has been begging for you to pay attention. One of my friends said a business guy came up to him and said, I don't believe in God. And he responded, I know you don't believe in God, but you sure do miss him. There's some of you here, you haven't believed in God, but you sure have missed him. And maybe right now it's time just to come home and say, Jesus, I see it, I get it. I know you're what my soul is searching for. Would you just bow your heads to me just for a moment and just close your eyes? I want you to see a line of faith right now in your imagination. A line of faith that you have to choose to cross. And there's some of you here right now that have not yet crossed that line of faith, but you're going to do it right now. And if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, to trust Jesus with your life, if you're ready to receive his love and his forgiveness and his life in you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer that will lead you past this line of faith. I want to lead you in a one-sentence prayer right now. Here it is. 
Get ready. Whisper it to God. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. That's the whole prayer. You and God will talk about a lot of things after this. But it begins here. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just whisper it to him. Right now, just whisper it to him. Jesus, I give you my life. The moment you give him your life, he puts his life in you. This is the moment that changes everything. This is the moment you cross the line of faith. This is the moment where you give everything to him and he gives everything to you. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your prayer, I wanna pray for you right now. I want you to nail down that this is the moment you cross the line of faith. If you just whispered this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, I wanna pray for you but I want to see you. If this was your prayer, I want you right now just to hold your hand up high so I can see you right now. Beautiful, beautiful. Right now, just quickly. Wonderful, beautiful. All over the room, beautiful. In the back, beautiful, I see you. Others right now, beautiful. Anyone else right now? In the back right now, just hold your hand up high. Don't be embarrassed, don't look around, don't worry about anyone else. This is your moment. Jesus, I give you my life. Wonderful, all over the room. Jesus, I give you my life. Wonderful, it's all right. Come on, if your heart's pounding, if you know it's you, just hold it up high. Let me see you. Jesus, I give you my life. Wonderful, beautiful. Mm. Father, I thank you for all of these who in this moment have crossed that line of faith, have opened up their life to you, have understood that Jesus is their why, who have given their lives to you right now. I pray that right now, God, you would just wrap them up in your love. Let them know that they belong to you, that you will never leave them or abandon them that you're placing in them freedom and forgiveness and hope and joy and love and life because you now dwell in them. Pray, God, that they would celebrate this new life that just begun in this moment. We thank you, Father. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Mosaic Podcast. As God has spoken into your life, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that when we've been invested in, we need to also become investors. And I want to encourage you right now, if Mosaic is one of the platforms from which you grow spiritually, you connect more deeply to God, and your faith with Jesus becomes more real, I want to encourage you right now to go to mosaic.org and become one of our givers. Give a one-time gift, become a recurring giver, become a part of what God's doing across the world. Mosaic isn't just a church in Los Angeles. Mosaic is all of us working together.